0: Hey, Ohio Realtors. Register now for the 2022 convention. We're back in Cleveland from September 18th through the 21st for this year's jam-packed event, featuring 20 and a half hours of CE, nationally known speakers, awards receptions, networking, and the always popular RPAC YPN event hosted at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Don't miss out. Register now by visiting Ohio Realtors.org forward slash convention.
1: Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio Realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. With us today is a very special guest, Logan Modashami. He is the lead analyst for Housing Wire. Um, he is a personal favorite here at Ohio Realtors. We love his podcast. We love the work that he does um, with Housing Wire, giving us all of the insights on today's housing market. And if you haven't ever listened to Logan and some of the work that he does, definitely check it out. Um, He puts out podcasts all the time, giving you real-time information and insights into the housing market. So we are super excited to have him on today. Logan, welcome to the show.
2: It is great to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Of course, of course. And usually I like to ask our real view question. However, I think today we are going to skip that just because I want to get the most out of the time that we have with Logan here. And I really just want you guys to hear from him because um, his insights and knowledge um, is going to be really, really cool to hear today. So I think we're just going to dive into the show. Um, I want to hear a little bit about you, Logan. Tell us about yourself, what you do. I know I mentioned a little bit, but um, tell us how you got involved in your career and what that journey has been like so far.
2: So my family has been in banking since the late 1950s, and uh, I kind of started my financial career in 1996 in the stock market and working for our family's uh, mortgage company. But around 2010, um, I uh, started my own financial blog because I thought, as a historian, if economics is done right, it should be boring. So I thought I'll just join the blog fest and talk about housing economics. One thing led to another around 2015, I decided to let's talk about economics in the data analytical point, which makes it really boring at that (laughs) point. Uh, There was a lot of misinformation in general. And this is the post 2008 society we live in with social media, TV, yellow journalism. So I thought, let's do this right. And uh, the two things I always say is if economics is done right, it should be terribly boring. You always want to be the detective, not the troll. So uh, a lot of my work is demographically based with affordability models and economic models tied to cycles. Uh, When 2020 came, of course, this has been a period of my work that I've been talking about for a very long time. I've always separated my work from 2008 to 2019. I always talked about We would have the weakest housing recovery ever, which means mortgage demand, housing starts, new home sales. But 2020 to 2024 can be different. So of course, 2020 came and COVID came and immediately everybody went into housing crash mode. I didn't, I wrote a recovery model for housing wire on April 7th, 2020. So US economy is gonna recover in 2020, housing's not gonna crash. Give it about six weeks, people are gonna get back and buy homes normally. The only problem with 2020 to 2024 is that total inventory levels have been slowly falling for eight years. Nobody wanted to pay attention to it because everybody was hyping the next big housing crash for attention. And it became the biggest housing inflation event of in our history, not because we have a booming demand like we saw from 2002 to 2005. It's more homeowners are doing well, right? And I always say that you know housing credit looks so good that it could be problematic that people just stay in their homes longer. And uh, that's been a baseline of so much of my work now. And I retired from the mortgage industry in 2020, but now I just write primarily for Housing Wire. Uh, We do two weekly podcasts. My Twitter and Instagram are giant nerd fests. I try to make it as entertaining as possible, which means I'm always picking fights with my housing crash friends for the last 10 years. But it's it's just to show a set of data lines and try to give people a pathway of what's going to happen next. I think that's a lot of my work is to try to connect the dots and keep it reasonable to what's actually really going on. And you know 2020 2021 and 2022 are such historic housing events but uh, my work is to just keep it simple, show the data and keep people away from the headline people because uh, I think there's a lot to talk about what's happening in 2022 which is not being discussed because you know home prices are crashing 30 or 40 percent and there's a reason for that and my job is to explain, the why factor, right? It's not so much the final answer, but it's the why something is happening, so people can understand on them, on them by themselves, and they don't need to watch YouTube or read Reddit or anything like that.
1: Like you mentioned, you know, you kind of do just bring the real aspect into what's going on, and we can all get so caught up in the dramatics. And you know, is this happening? Is this happening in uh, panic mode? and doomsday? You know, I think we can all get caught up in that um, sometimes. And you do do such a good job of bringing us back down to uh, planet Earth. And um, I love that you mentioned this stuff is like boring, and you know, all that. Because I think you know what I love about your Twitter is you you post it in just some interesting and unique ways. And even on your podcast, you're such an engaging speaker, and and you really. Pres- the data in a way that doesn't make it boring at least not for me maybe I'm just nerding myself out a little
2: bit um, well I try I try to make it entertaining but yeah. uh you know it's it's the, the theatrics can come at times but usually it's to try to talk about the point and and hopefully hopefully people can visually see and learn on themselves and I think everyone being more knowledgeable on facts than fear is a good thing. Uh, And then you could talk about housing economics. And for me, it's like, if I'm doing my job, people could finish my sentences for me, because uh, typically being repetitive and and how things normally go, that should be the case instead of saying X is going to happen and it doesn't and this, you know, so we we try to keep it as simple as possible so people could understand the data in, in a more realistic way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know here in Ohio, it's been an insane housing market, especially in Columbus, um, which is where we're headquartered here at Ohio Realtors. I mean, it's it's been similar here, just like the rest of the country. And we know things are just shifting and, and changing so quickly. Um, and you mentioned kind of a little bit of the 2008, uh, what happened in that year. We all know what that led to and kind of how that happened but we come up we come we start hearing it again now it's coming up more and more are we in a recession <laughs> and then how do you um and knowing what you do in your role and how tapped in you are to this industry how do you measure a housing recession and what are some of the factors that go into that
2: 2008 economics or housing economics or credit profiles is my specialty so how i try to explain to people why this isn't 2008, it's such the opposite is this, and i will go into the housing recession discussion. In 2002 to 2005, we had a massive credit boom. Sales were rising, housing starts were rising, uh, housing production was, uh, was going up with prices. And then in 2005, the housing data peaked, and then credit started to get tighter, uh, which means home sales were gonna decline in, in a big fashion. The difference between now than back then that nobody wants to talk about is housing credit was deteriorating in 2005, 2006, 2007, and 2008. When I talk about deterioration is that people were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies while the unemployment rate was falling. Historically, an anomaly, right? But if you understand the debt structures, and, and this to me has always been the missing link of all housing discussion this century. Unless you're versed in credit risk profiling uh, with residential lending, then things might not uh, look normal to you. But for me, it was you saw the deterioration in credit, then the job loss recession happened. So uh, here was the exact opposite. And I like to show credit charts. Bankruptcies and foreclosures had been falling since uh, uh, 2012. And going into 2020, uh, it looked fine, right? So housing's back to its traditional self fixed debt payments, rising wages, cash flow gets better. So what occurred is 2012, 2016, 2020, and 2021, so many people refinanced. right? So their cash flow got so good. So I would say homeowners have it great. Uh, They have a fixed long-term debt payment. Their wages have been rising for years. And they've lived in their homes longer. I think this is another key point from 1985 to 2007. People stayed in their year, homes five to seven years, from 2008 to 2020, It's 11 to 13 years of parts so of the U.S. It's 15 to 18 years. I've lived in my home for 18 years. So all this wage growth with falling mortgage payments because of refinancing, homeowners are doing great. I think uh, about 13% of the country have mortgage rates, 3% or below, near 40% have rates between 3% to 4%. 4%. And about another 30% have rates between 4 to 5%. And the rest are either very old loans or loans that just occurred. So the homeowner's doing great. And then a traditional seller is usually a buyer of a home. And this is another missing discussion. Uh, people don't sell their homes to be homeless. Mm-hmm. Like, I got not know where this came from. But whoever tricked people into this was r- really clever. <laughs> uh, they don't also sell their homes to go rent at a higher cost either. So what's occurred is people are doing really well. They're staying in their homes. And whenever rates rise, media freaks out, Reddit freaks out, YouTube freaks out. And I always say that these are very soft people. Like they get very panicky very fast. Mm -hmm. So, um, So here is 2022, the lowest inventory levels ever recorded in history. Mortgage rates were low. And I was like, oh, God, home prices are about to take off again. And we needed like higher rates to cool this market down because I'm not worried about homeowners foreclosing before a recession or stuff like that. What's happened with housing uh, this year is mortgage rates have accelerated so much so fast. And then home prices accelerated so much so fast. And oddly enough, that was my biggest concern. January of 2021, uh, I've had to deal with a group of people I call them the forbearance crash bros. It's a bunch of guys on YouTube who basically every year they have some reason that housing is going to crash. So knowing that this was going to occur in September, I created the term in September of 2020, forbearance crash bros. Here's a bunch of guys are going to say housing is going to crash. And I'm like, oh my God, home prices are about to take off again. And home prices accelerated much faster now than even during the housing bubble years. And that's because inventory is much lower. So total listings in 2005 were 2.5 million. That's before the massive increase in inventory uh, due to forced selling. Here, we started the year at 870000 This is the NAR data. Currently, we're at $1.31 million. That's it. We are basically near all-time lows, even with the massive increase in home prices and mortgage rates. Why? Because homeowners are doing well. There's a set of traditional listings that happen every single year, but they don't panic sell. Panic sells are stock traders. Reddit people and YouTube crash addicts, and they don't sell their homes either. They tell people, you know, this is going to happen. So here we are. We're kind of stuck, uh, where we're trying to work ourselves back to twenty nineteen inventory levels, and that'll be uh, a, a more functioning marketplace. That's always been my target in my work from Housing Wire. So then uh, I do economic cycle works. So I raised my fifth recession red flag for housing in in June. So when I think about housing recession, a recession is when total activity falls, production falls, incomes fall. That is traditionally what a recession looks like in the general economy. The general economy is not uh, in that, but housing definitely is. And a lot of this had to do with the massive home price growth that we've seen because we don't have a fake credit boom anymore. Like affordability issues are real. So since the summer of 2020, I said if bond market or the 10-year yield goes above 1.94%, which is just basically 4% plus mortgage rates, the housing market would is going to slow noticeably. But I also said if home prices, the only thing that could ruin 2020 to 2024 is if home prices grow above 23% nationally uh, within five years, it happened in two years. So we got caught in a very bad place because we didn't have enough product, and we had this massive housing inflation with prices and rents and sales are falling, but inventory is not skyrocketing like people have thought about. The new home sales market is already in a recession. They have 10.9 months of supply. 9.84 months of that is under construction or not built yet. So uh, they're going to stop production. Homeowners are, unless you really have to move, why am I going to give up this wonderful house that I've spent 10 years and a lot of money? I mean, think about it. We have a whole enterprise of TV shows telling us how to make your home great uh, uh, So a lot of people just are in a good spot and it's the the fluidness of inventory has been a challenge for eight nine years and even this year with home sales falling from 6.49 million to about 4.81 million within within a six seven month period we're not even back to 2019 levels. So my job is to explain why this is the case. Uh, and we're still going to have over five million total home sales, both new and existing homes to get uh, sales together this year. Homes are selling; eighty-two uh, percent of them are selling within a month. The median days on market is still fourteen days. It's a it's a different reality discussion of what's going on versus everything else out there. And everything else out there is every day everything's going to crash. Everything's we're in a recession always, and that is a very effective business model. But that's why I always go back to housing economics or economics in general. If it's done right, it should be terribly boring. It's really not designed to be this, you know, theatric show every single day. But the business model of theatrics versus boring economics just, you know, it, it clashes all the time.
1: What do you see happening over the next kind of second half of the year here? I know we're almost into the fourth quarter already, which is crazy. Um, what do you see kind of playing out? For the rest of this year, and I know you mentioned into 2024, um, if you had a big crystal ball and had to look into that, um, what are some predictions that you think? You think the trends we're seeing as far as um – uh, inventory and challenges with that will still be around. And then mortgage rates. I know um, the most recent reports out of NAR said they're starting to begin to stabilize, which I think is is good news um, for, for any individuals out there looking to get a mortgage. But what are you seeing um, for the next couple months here and even into um, the far future?
2: So one of the things I was concerned about the second half of 2022 was new listings declining. At a faster rate than what we saw the last two years, and that's what's happening. Uh, It's happened and started in July. So when even when mortgage rates fell one and a quarter percent from the recent peak, new listings are declining faster year over year now. So basically, inventory is very seasonal. It rises in the spring and summer, and it falls in the fall and winter. Usually, that happens in October. So since new listings are declining on a year-over-year basis, the growth of inventory is slowing down now. Regarding mortgage rates, I'm a bond market guy. And the history of the bond market and mortgage rates after 1982 is that when economic data gets weaker, you find a peak in mortgage rates and bond yields. And then typically what happens is rates fall into a recession. And what happened during COVID was that people didn't realize how many people were still working during COVID. So even my economic friends on Twitter, when we had technically 20 to 30 million people unemployed in forbearance or could not purchase a home. And I was like, listen, give it, a, give it a few weeks, home buying will come right back. People go, how are people buying homes with millions of people unemployed? Well, I said, you forgot the 133 million people working. I said, that's a lot of people and mortgage rates are low now. So when we think about the next recession, when it happens, because all six of my recession red flags are up. So I'm looking for the the next uh uh, uh, economic break in data, always realize that the majority of the country is always employed, and the majority of home buyers are always employed, and the majority of homeowners are always employed. So, if you have 155 million people working and two to three million people lose their jobs, you still have 150 million people working. And when rates fall, it helps the buying process. The problem I have is that inventory is so low that I just want to get back to 2019 levels. 2019 levels by the way is the four decade low before 2020. Wow,
1: and we're just trying so, to get back he, to that. <laughs> and we're
2: just trying to get back. So I try to I try to like find creative ways to explain to people this and I say that you know before the housing crash in 2006 or when inventory skyrocketed we had 2.5 million listings at the start of this year was 807,000. So we were 1.6 million listings off before, back 2005 levels. And the history of total listings going back to 1982, when I was seven, was that you have two to two and a half million active listings. So even today, as we speak, total listings are 1.131 million. We have over 330 million people in this country. We have over 150 million people working. We have the best loan profiles ever recorded in our history but loan profiles it's not just fico scores look great but the debt structures are different and i think that's the really missing discussion is that people have fixed long-term debt products they don't sell to go homeless they they, they sell their homes to buy another one traditionally what investors do are is something else we're talking about primary resident owners so you would need like a job loss recession to create what we call forced credit selling. That's the traditional risk. So if mortgage rates fall, the problem is that the growth in inventory can stall. It's already stalling and rates are still high. uh, And we can be stuck. The reason I like 2019 levels is that 2019 inventory levels, we had 30 days on the market. That's a normal functioning marketplace. Teenager, 14 days on the market, NER data, not good. You do not want days on market to be a teenager. That's not a that's not a healthy thing. So 82% of all homes are still selling within uh, one month. So people are, how is this happening with sales falling and rates rising? Well, there's parts of the United States of America that haven't had much inventory growth. So everyone focuses on Phoenix, Boise, Austin, Reno, and they think that's the entire housing market where other parts you see inventory growth. It's just not a lot. So uh, uh, there are different regional factors in housing, but the problem has always been the same. Inventory has been falling for eight, nine years, actually since 2014. And the inventory growth that we've had this year is positive, but it's not back to 2019 levels. And I do believe if mortgage rates could stay above 5% all of uh, 2023, that inventory should get back up to 2019 levels. And that'll be perfectly a healthy thing for the housing market because- People want choices, right? Choices are a good thing. What we had in 2020 and 2021 was, how I call it now, savagely unhealthy. Uh, And we saw that earlier in the year. And I said, this was like the worst housing market I've seen post 2010, just because there wasn't enough product. And we forced people to bid against each other for housing. That's never a good thing because it's shelter. It's not like an iPhone or an Xbox that you're trying to buy. Everyone needs somewhere to live, and this is why rent inflation has taken off. And we just got caught in a very bad place, and we see this massive housing inflation. So homeowners are doing fine. They're great. If they needed to sell, you know, they, they have a lot of nested equity. But it's still a struggling market for buyers. And then on top of everything else, mortgage rates went up 3% uh, within a year, which never happens. Uh, so we're dealing with a lot of dynamics that we historically have not dealt with, just because total inventory levels broke to all-time lows in 2022.
1: Oh, geez, we got to get that inventory up, man. (laughs) I know I'm preaching to to the choir here. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-license course locations. I want to switch gears and ask um, kind of a more Ohio-specific question. So Intel is coming to the city. Um, The groundbreaking, I believe, is happening uh, September 9th with President Biden coming into town. For that, they are going to be building the largest chip manufacturing plant here in Licking County, Ohio, just about 20 minutes outside of Columbus, um, bringing thousands of jobs, thousands of temporary jobs, um, retail booms. How is this going to impact uh, maybe the Ohio housing market, the Columbus housing market, and what does a giant company like this coming into a smaller um, community mean for housing from what you've seen before?
2: You know, whenever you have a big company come in, uh, that means a lot of workers, if they're not living in the local area, are gonna come in and start working. Because when you're talking about plant work, you're talking about people going in there and actually producing something so it's different than let's say it's somebody that could work from home so in a sense you need more shelter and which means you need you're going to have more workers workers who are going to have good wages competing with other people this actually goes to a bigger talking point I've had for for a very long time when i used to go to conferences in the previous expansion i used to say We're humans. We're not very complicated. We rent, we date, we mate, we get married. Three and a half years after marriage, we have kids. We need a bigger home. So, if you're looking at having an Intel plant come in, uh, you're going to have more workers that need shelter. So, either rent or buy uh, uh, stable long term jobs, and there you go. So, the need for shelter grows whenever you have uh, a new company come in. And I think there's just going to be more fighting for the uh, properties out there, Uh, whether it's rent or home buying. That's what happens. Uh, You need growth, where the growth is, where the jobs are, and then population people move. And one of the things, even before COVID and even before the work from home model, I thought this decade would have more people moving just because you're going to have more people ages 30 to 39. People start to get married at 28 to 29. So then the kid process happens in the 30s. So Uh, People move from expensive areas to uh, cheaper areas. And now you have a well-known company who's going to provide a lot of jobs with good paying jobs. So that will boost the home buying in the local population, especially if you get more workers coming in. And if you're already below 2019 inventory levels, it just means more competition.
1: Yeah, going to be interesting to watch. Definitely something I know we we keep our eye on here um, at Ohio Realtors. Logan, is there anything that's surprising you or that has surprised you or that you think is surprising um, about where the market stands today and maybe where, where we're heading?
2: When I talked about 4% mortgage rates uh, uh, impacting housing, one of the things I saw this year is that 4 to 5% mortgage rates weren't doing the damage I thought it would do. Uh, and on twitter every wednesday i go over the mortgage purchase application data because i think that's the best forward looking data we have but 5 to 6% mortgage rates did the damage that i thought 4 to 5% mortgage rates do which means that if mortgage rates fall toward 4% again you're going to have more buyers come into the system and if we're not at 2019 inventory levels that means there's a risk of the inventory growth that we've seen slowing Pausing or reversing. Reversing would be bad. We'll have to see how that works out. But I was actually very surprised that four to five percent mortgage rates didn't do the damage I thought, but five to six percent did. You know, I'm a big believer of balance. And part of being the team higher rates person before rates rose early this year was to try to emphasize to people this was not a good position to be in for the national housing market because when you have such a low inventory we didn't have this problem in the previous expansion this is this is a 2020 post phenomenon it creates so much housing inflation and what that does is impacts demand harder when rates rise and that's what we've seen this year so uh, you want to keep an eye on mortgage rates and if mortgage rates head toward four percent like it's done in the previous expansion you could have another you know People fighting for low inventory if inventory is below 2019 levels. So that's what I'm focusing on for the rest of this year and next year. But slow inventory progress is the name of the game, right? And I'm hoping that next year, and I, I do believe this, that we can get inventory levels back to it. And how I've I've written about it on Housing Wire after 2020 is 1.52 to 1.93 million total listings, national NAR data. If we just get back to there, we have a functioning market again. So we're not there yet. Of course, we're far from the 1.93 level. But if rates stay high enough, there's slow progress. And then we we get our there. More choices for everyone, right? Which more is good. And like,
1: yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean, the thought of maybe the biggest purchase that someone will ever make in their life happening in like 14 days, in a matter of days, you're, you're shelling out, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, on something it is, it is a little crazy. Like when you think about it in that way.
2: There's there's a reason why the home buyer confidence index collapsed to all time lows. Nobody likes bidding for housing. Everyone likes no competition. You know, a lot of people said, "Well, look at that. That index means nobody wants to buy a home." No, the index is a lot of people wanted to buy a home. They just didn't want to bid against everyone else. And you know, we just I I, I tell people we finally paid the price for not having enough product for home buying and home renting. Even though the data was showing this for many years, that there could be a problem you know, in years 2020 to 2020. And the reason I use that period is the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history right now, ages 28 to 34, first-time homebuyer, ages 33. So naturally, you get a little bump in demand. That's what we saw. That little bump had the potential of driving inventory to all-time lows. It did. COVID had a part to do with this. And then on top of everything else, the work-from-home model created housing inflation from expensive states into uh, cheaper states and those states didn't have the inventory for the higher income people so it just became a hot housing inflation mess out there uh, and a lot of that has to do with inventory breaking to all-time lows which still to this day as i did on my twitter account today tried to show wall street uh, stock traders they don't know what they're talking <laughs> about they're talking about there was an inventory surge and i'm like Hmm. We're not even really at the high levels of 2020. I don't think that's a surge. And, uh, and that's, that's the world we live in. So myself and maybe a few others, we try to keep it simple and data oriented, but we know that, uh, we're pilgrims in an unholy land now, but we try our best.
1: Yeah, no, lots of, lots of great stuff. Uh, Logan, I want to wrap it up with kind of one final question here. Is the American dream of home, home ownership still achievable today?
2: Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people said millennials don't buy homes. Uh, Millennials started buying homes in 2013. And guess what? When they got to their home buying age, they're the biggest home buyers in America today, right? They are normal people. They're not, you know, people like to think, oh, they're, you know, they're different than the boomers. No, they're not. They just do things a little bit later in life. Gen Z will be the same way. People don't realize how big the millennials and Gen Z are. You put those two together, they're bigger than the total population in Japan. And those households need shelter, so they have to live somewhere, especially if they're employed. So uh, home ownership rates is a big part of my work. The percentages, the long-term forecast, they look perfectly normal to me. I, in fact, I before 2020 came, I said, we should get home ownership rates back up to 66.21% by 2022 to 2026. We're heading that way. So everything looks normal to me. There's a group of workers in this country that just simply don't make enough money to be homeowners. That's about one third of the society service sector workers. If they're part of a dual household income, that could be a possible homeownership. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, people bought millions and millions of people buy homes every year. It's actually really rare in America to have total home sales below 4 million post 1996. You know, in in the late 70s to early 20s, where the baby boomers started, you know, buying, it was. You know, we went from 2 million home sales to 4 million, and then we came back down to 2 million here. It's actually really rare to have uh, home sales under 4 million total. So, yeah, people buy homes every year. Nothing abnormal about that. People who have jobs, they have kids, it's normal. Uh, So, we're not like some weird alien. Uh, Millennials are just like the baby boomers, they just do things a little bit later in life.
1: Yeah. And I know one thing too, and and we'll wrap it up because I know we're going a little bit long, but, um, The student loan forgiveness that is going to affect um, millions, millions of Americans, many of them um, of that millennial age. Do you think that is going to have an impact on um, the purchase of homes?
2: Not really. And and this is actually a big part of my work in the previous expansion. The student loan debt crisis was was very overhyped because it's a political economic thing. And so I try to show the data on this. Majority of student loan debt is actually 17k and under, and the people that are stressed are actually 10k and under. And the people that are 10k and under, a lot of the stressed are actually college dropouts. So a lot of people said that millennials can't buy homes, student loan debt crisis, and then three hours later, that same person would go, "We don't have enough homes. Millennials are buying homes. We need to build more homes." Okay, in a coherent world, you can't have that same mindset within the same day. So uh, if you look at student loan debt, college-educated Americans who finish college. They go start working. They typically have the highest income, highest assets are home buyers. The people that don't finish college, they have the student loan debt. It's delinquent. They're not making payments on it. Majority of that is 10,000 and under. So uh, the biggest uh, portion of student loan debt people are gone now. It more of a renter financial uh, benefit in a sense. Uh, homeowners might get a little bit more buying power for what they buy on a daily basis. But uh, it's not as big as people think, uh, just because that people who went to college and have student loan debt, uh, the average homeowner, I think, has 30,000 student loan debt. Right? And they're still buying homes. They own homes. So the, the, the topic became this ideological thing between conservatives and liberals. And everyone missed the actually data point. And I wrote this in 2019, like trying to show people, why are millennials still buying homes that went to college? Well, they make money. Right. So, uh, people make money, they buy homes, they have low mortgage rates, not too uh, shocking. So, I'm not a, I don't believe in the, this is going to be a very big issue or a, a, a big plus for housing. But I think for renters, you get a little bit better cash flow. For homeowners, a little bit of, uh, better cash flow for sure.
1: Awesome. Well, Logan, this is so fantastic. I could keep going. I have like a million more questions than what I want to ask you. I have to have to bring you on another time. But this is so awesome. Great insights um, into where we stand today in this housing market. And I appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much.
2: My pleasure. Ask anytime, and always remember, economics done right should be terribly boring.
1: Yes. And Logan, tell us again where um, we can find you um, on social media and on your website.
2: All my work is for Housing Wire, HW+, if you wanted to use a code, VIP 50 could get you a code on HW+. I do two podcasts a week now, Sarah Wheeler and myself, uh, that comes out uh, uh, Thursdays and Mondays. My Twitter account, which is my name, Logan Morshami, and my Instagram account, Logan Morshami. If you really want to be nerd out, my Instagram stories are all just economic data uh, so those, those areas there can, uh, we can, uh, I, I, talk about all economics, not just housing, but housing wire has all my work and my blog, loganmodeshami.com stores all the podcasts there. So if you wanted to just listen to the podcast, uh, they're all stored there. I don't write for my blog anymore. Uh, there we talk about everything twice a week now because economic data has gone crazy wild. So there's a lot to, lots to discuss.
1: Yeah, well, awesome work. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments or suggestions? We want to hear from you email us at podcast at org. We'll see you next time.
0: Hey, Ohio Realtors. Register now for the fourth annual Broker Summit happening October 18th in Westerville, Ohio. Plus, make sure to join us for the all new Team Summit happening the day before the Broker Summit. That's right, two straight days of learning and networking just for you. Don't miss out on this important opportunity. Register today by visiting ohiorealtors.org.